Good morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco. Welcome to the Richardson Financial Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to be with Dr. Paul Donahue. Many of you have heard of him. Michael Swartz and Matthew Wonder and Nolan Stokes have all told us about the impact that Dr. Donahue and his work have had on them and their teams in terms of helping them learn to be better listeners to their clients and really with any relationships they have in their lives. And, you know, in terms of background, there's a book called Are You Really Listening that Dr. Donahue published a few years ago that is very good. His work has also been featured in Good Day New York, The Today Show, and The New York Times. And for those that want to get access to his book, it's available on Amazon in bookstores. And also he has a website that's Donahue and Siegel, D-O-N-O-G-H-U-E and S. E-I-G-E-L dot com. So DonahueandSiegel.com is another place to get information about uh, the work that is currently being done. Welcome, Dr. Donahue. Thank you very much, Will. Delighted to be with you. Yeah, you know, and as I was thinking about the, really the conversations we've had and the theme of your book, I'm curious if you could tell us, from your perspective, how pervasive is poor listening in today's world? It's interesting. It's almost like we observe that others aren't, but then we don't think about that we're doing the same thing. And, you know, one of the concepts that I thought was really fascinating is that we often hear what's more important to us as the listener as opposed to the one speaking. Can you perhaps give an example or two of, of how that plays out? Well, if, if, first of all, it plays out all the time. We are, we're most concerned about ourselves much as we might not like to admit it, um, we're more concerned about ourselves than we are about the other person. So if the other person's talking, we're thinking inside ourselves, what are you thinking about me? If, if you said to me, um, oh, I'm afraid we're not getting to some of the things we need to get to in this interview, I wouldn't hear that you're doubting yourself as an interviewer. I would think you're doubting me as being very clear. I, my focus so often 
as is everyone else's, what are you saying about me? So if the CEO of a company is making remarks about we're not meeting our goals, we're not developing the culture we need to do, they're not thinking he's blaming himself or herself. They're saying, what's he saying about me? I'll bet he's thinking I'm not doing this. So we hear about ourselves, first of all. Secondly, we have our own agenda. So if we're talking to our son and he's saying, um, you know, I really um, don't think I want to go right away to college. I want to take a gap year. Not only does the parent hear, oh my God, how, what have I done? How have I failed to make college really important to him? But we also have that agenda. We want him to go to college. So we say something back about, that's ridiculous. You're shot now. You've been accepted. You do not want to blow that. You want it. So our agenda of getting him into college blocks out any attention of why he's thinking about taking a gap year. What that would mean to him. What he hopes to gain from that. Why he's moving in that direction. We don't stop to hear about him. We've got our own agenda going on. In the classic joke in that, that sick joke, is the interviewer with Mrs. Lincoln saying, yes, I know Mrs. Lincoln, but other than that, how did you like the play? <laughs> it's totally absurd, but on lower levels, we're doing it all the time. It's called a selective attention. I'm selecting what you're saying about that it's in, that's in tune with my own needs, my own values, my own beliefs, my own agenda, my own self-esteem. I hear through that screen and in so many ways then don't really hear about you. What, what would you say is the first step someone could take, say, I want to become a better listener? I mean, what, what can we do to improve this? Well, we don't learn anything. How to ride a bike, how to drive a car, how to learn a foreign language. We don't learn anything unless we're convinced we have a need to learn that or a strong desire to learn that. So I think we have to really get within ourselves and think, what is it like for you, Will, uh, not to be heard? And to think of recent examples in your life where it mattered to you that the other really understands, whether that was your boss, your spouse, your partner, and how awful it felt when you weren't really understood. When, you, when the listener will do that kind of reflection of what it's like not to be heard, then maybe he'd start to value, well then other people have that same need for me that I have for them. My son needs to be heard by me. My wife 
needs to be heard by me. My husband needs to be heard by me. The person who reports to me really needs to be heard by me. We've got to make it a value. This is not a, um, a gimmick. The, the gimmick of the week is I learned to listen better. It's got to become a profound value based on my realization of how important it is for me to be heard. It must be just as important for the other to be heard. We've got to make it a real value, not a gimmick. So as you think about that process, I mean, it sounds like the first thing is we've got to understand what it's like for us when we're not heard. And then to, is it about really having empathy then for if it, if it feels that way for me, then it feels that way for other people as a way to really recognize some of the cost of, of not being a good listener? Every 
I've worked a lot with Northwestern agents. I stress with them that this is a profoundly sacred relationship where that person's health issues, financial issues, matter deeply to you. And you want what's best for that client. And you will listen and listen until you know what is best for that client. One of the uh, top really stars of Northwestern shared with me recently that he was trying to get to uh, the head of this uh, very important institution. And the he couldn't get he couldn't get an appointment. Couldn't get in, couldn't get an appointment. Finally got an appointment and said to himself, I really want to put into practice and he gave me credit what Paul taught me about listening. So he listened and listened to this fellow. This fellow was quite negative, not interested in insurance, financial planning, whatever, whatever. But he kept listening and listening and found out that this negativity was really not that individual, that leader's own views. It was his father's. And the fellow himself seemed surprised to realize he's been so negative, mostly because that's what his father thought about insurance uh, and insurance agents, as he calls salesmen. Uh, so the more he listened, the more the fellow talked and trusted him. And then said, I want you to meet my wife. So he listened to both of them, and they've become um, one of his major clients and sources of referral. That's the value <coughs> of really listening carefully. That's fascinating. I mean, that, that example of... There was negativity, and I imagine it's easy for us to feel like, well, this is about me. You know, what is it that I'm doing wrong? So how do you think the advisor was able to get past that initial negativity to figure out that it was the person's father that had given him those views? Uh, that's an excellent question because I think most of us, we're so vulnerable to hearing rejection that we can't keep going. The one shot of trying to get in at this guy, if this really star um, from Northwestern um, hadn't thought highly enough of himself, he would have just heard rejection. He wouldn't have heard um, anything beyond that, let alone that the negative views were coming from the father. He would have been put off just by not being able to get in to see him. I'm being rejected. I'm not important enough. I don't have value enough. I'm just a, you know, shoeshine salesman. Um, but this fellow didn't think that way. Name's Tony. He didn't think that way, Anthony. He didn't think that way about himself. He thought highly enough of himself that his job was to help this guy who runs this big institution and see how he could help him by listening to find out how he could help him. Maybe he couldn't, but it wasn't about 
Anthony was about this leader and this leader's wife and family and then institution. So we've got to get over that hearing about self. When someone's not taking our phone call or not responding immediately to what we have to offer, it's almost never about us. It's about the other person and how busy they are at that moment or how distracted they are at that moment or that their wife isn't very interested in looking into financial planning or insurance. It's so often about the other, but we make it about ourselves and then it's stopped in our tracks. So is it is it about asking more questions when we encounter resistance and you know, it, if you have examples of what some of those questions would be that help to, to clarify versus I'm imagining one scenario where somebody starts to get defensive and maybe fight back against the negativity. Well, you know, I'm not like those sales guys or we're different, we're better or whatever, which would make it worse. But is, is it as simple as thinking about good questions to ask a person to get to the real issue? Yes, I, I think there's a very specific um, skill in that. Um, one of the, uh, really another star at Northwestern that you mentioned, Matt Wonder. Um, Matt has his whole office built around listening. And, and one of the things he has them say is, if they say, well, you know, how are things at work? And they say, that's eh, pretty good. They say, could you add some color to that? Um, what does that exactly mean for you that the company's going well? And then the person might start to say, oh, well, well, they're talking about uh, layoff. Uh, and then you, the next question would be then, and, and what would that, what's your own thought on that? Or what would that be like for you is there, do you have any anxieties yourself about being laid off? And only by continued follow-up, interesting, interested questions will the person begin to trust that you really care, that you want to know, that you're not just there to do a sales job. You want to really know this individual, that that trust has to be built by that slow, deliberate, attentive question. I, I give an example in the, in the, are you really listening, about the professional relationship of doctor-patient, which could apply very much to um, agent-client. And what a major study at the University of Pennsylvania found that when a patient starts talking, it takes, on average, 18 seconds for the doctor to start talking, to interrupt and start talking. 18 seconds. <laughs> How much can a person get across in 18 seconds? What they also found in the study is that the patient doesn't really get to their major symptoms until they've gone through a couple of minor ones. Almost unconsciously, they're testing to see whether the doctor really cares and listens. Well, how does the doctor get to the third symptom? 
to be broken in after 18 seconds. A similar thing could be said about um, an agent and his client. If the agent's too quick coming in with information or defensiveness or trying to anything else, other than a careful listening, they'll never really develop that trust that the client knows this guy's different. This guy really wants to know me. This guy really cares. He's not just trying to tell me something. Well, it, it, it sounds like the person who has that, and, and you mentioned Matthew Wonder and, and Tony and others, that ability to get in there and just be curious and let them know that they care and that it's not about the outcome. You know, what I'm hearing you say is it's not about, you know, I'm going to guide you down a process that ends with you buying stuff. It's more about let me understand you and what your, your needs are. And, and is it, it, it feels to me like the key to it is being detached from the outcome of the answers to the questions and just continue to get curious and, and, and um, ask clarifying questions. I mean, as you were describing it, it sounds like that is really, really important and, and a key to the, to the process. And it is a key to the process, but with, it's, it is being realistic that I'm not in there just to be the guy's friend. I'm not in there to be his golfing buddy. Um, I am in there to listen deeply for what, how I can help. So um, the agent is, does have an agenda in terms of how can I help, if I can, is financial planning. How can I help, if I can, with his insurance needs? So I'm not denying that I have that agenda. That would be um, disingenuous. Um, I do have that, but, but it takes a lot of real uh, listening to get self out of it, not what am I you saying about me, and that notion of getting rejected so quickly. It's, I want to keep listening because I really do care about your well-being. And if I don't have that care, I should be in a different line of work. Um, but I do have that care, and I've got to learn to demonstrate it by effective listening. Well, you know, that reminds me of, a. I know in the book you talk about a particular challenge that not just for financial advisors, but you mentioned doctors a minute ago and other professionals, and that is the person has knowledge and it makes it hard or it could make it hard for us to hear the client as opposed to, you know, uh, letting them know all the great stuff that that we know. And it'd be great for you to, you know, expand on that uh, for us a little bit if you would. Um, well, the, another really good question, uh, but the, the uh, I guess, <laughs> I guess slightly distracted telling you what a good question that was. <laughs> so, so would you repeat it? Oh yeah. So, so as a professional, if we, if we have a lot of knowledge and we want to be sure to, we want people to know that we know stuff and it makes it hard for us to listen. It'd be great if you could expand on, on that challenge. Thank you, Matt. Um, well, 
the the danger again is it's about me that I'm going in there to show what a successful guy I am. Um, I interviewed a CEO the other day that uh, having the reason I was interviewing is there's real managerial problems in the company and the board had asked me to look into it. This guy spent most of the session with me telling me how successful he was. Uh, utter waste of time. Why are you needing to do that? He's telling me a ton that he's not aware of that he's telling me, but his whole focus is on himself. When I actually went to interview in the company earlier this week, um, I heard over and over from sections of the company, department heads, he doesn't seem interested in me. He had a good meeting with me, but he talked about himself. Um, so that's one kind of egotism that makes for very terrible leadership. But it's a similar type of thing with, we had a professor of philosophy in, in uh, university, and we used to joke about ourselves, don't go ask him a question. You'll get a three-hour lecture on existentialism. Um, all I want is an answer to this question, but he's busy me showing me how much he knows about philosophy. So it's the same thing with an agent. If I'm going in there and I'm showing him um, how clever I am, how knowledgeable I am, how important I am, the focus is on me, not on him. I'm not building trust that way. I'm not um, listening to him. I'm listening to myself. So it's very challenging to hold back if the client's talking about, you know, term versus life, and he evidently doesn't really know the difference clearly enough. All he's talking about bonds versus stocks. And again, ill-informed on a number of things, it takes real patience to keep listening till I can show him I understand his views on life versus term or stocks versus bonds, um, fixed income versus equity. That I've got to let him know I'm understanding his views to so to open him up then for him to then hear my clarification. I'm jumping into it quickly with what I know. I'm not letting him know that I understand where he's coming from. It takes patience to be a good listener. Well, it's a, it reminds me of a, and you've alluded to this, I think, already, but this, this concept of there's the problem of wanting them to know we know stuff, and then the related issue that I remember from the book of we, we might just go to solving the problem. Like, oh, I've heard enough, or the doctor that listened for 18 seconds, yep, 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 here's what you need to do, right? It's like, well, I heard that, therefore you need to buy this and that, and let's move all your stuff over and, and sign it here. And um, is, is that the same thing, or is that a slightly different issue than wanting people to know that we know a lot of stuff? Um, well, I think it's a form. It's the, the CEO I was talking about, his problem was really, a, I think, a deep, sad inferiority that made him talk in grandiose, narcissistic fashion. Um, 
but advice giving um, is my agenda. I want to get on with it. I want to complete my agenda. My agenda isn't to really listen and care. It's to get this deal done. So if that's my agenda, I better get clear that that's what it is. Because I'm probably going to turn a whole lot of people off, and I'm not going to develop trust when I'm so quickly giving advice. One of the things about learning to listen, I'd say maybe the major thing, is we need to learn all the different forms of non-listening that we have. Advice giving is just one of them. Um, we have a whole set of non-listening behaviors and their habits. And until we get aware of them, we can't break them. We're busy doing them, but we're not even aware that we're doing them. Um, just to give quick example, you gave a, a very good one there of advice giving. Let me demonstrate a couple to you. <coughs> we just share anything at all with me, a little bit, you want to share with me. Or even, for example, that talk you mentioned before we started formal interview or anything at all you want to share with me, and I will non-listen to you. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see. So I'll give you... By the way, we'll see, I think the, the fact that you're not coming up with an example very quickly, I mean, it makes me think possibly you're not prepared enough to doing this. So notice what I just did? Yeah. I broke in on you and then started giving you a little lecture. Right. It's so easy to do, you can almost not notice that I'm doing it. But I'm, I'm not listening. Give me another one. Well, you know, it's been uh, it's been it's been raining here a lot, and I just haven't been able to exercise as much as um, as much as I would uh, as much as I would like to these uh, these these last few days. And uh, well, you can't let weather get in the way of exercising. There are all kinds of exercises you can do. Exercise is just so important to um, an effective guy in business. And being put up by weather makes me think you're not taking it that seriously. That's yeah, not listening. <laughs> I'm just telling you what's wrong with you. And I've selectively listened to about the, in my mind, the value of exercise. So I don't, I just impose that on you um, and then give you again a little lecture. You'd have to be nuts to keep this up. <laughs> Let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little nuts. Okay, one more. Well, you know, I've noticed, Dr. Donahue, that, you know, sometimes when I'm at home on the weekends with my family, particularly on Sunday, that I'm I'm not present, that I'm thinking about work, and my wife will say things like, you know, I just seems like you're not even here what's going on you know you've been you've, you've been looking at your phone you're not present well let me just break in for a minute yeah uh, what's your wife's name dina dina how many children do you have two two children you didn't have a desire to have more children no we're good with two uh, 
How old are they? Six yeah, and three. I've, I've totally changed the subject. Yeah. I've made it about your family. That was not your focus in sharing with me. But I'm interested in family and names. So I go in my direction, breaking in on you to find out about your family, which can sound friendly, but it's irrelevant to what you're sharing with me, at least for the moment. So that, that just, there's myriad examples of non-listening. I'll just give you a couple more. You gave advice. That is a key one for non-listening. Um, trying to make the person feel good, but not by listening, but just by something else. Um, I'll give you an example of that. I was consulting with this company and early, earlier this week, and the, we had to walk to different parts of the conference room, the executive dining room, et cetera. And um, I've just had a hip replacement. So I'm not there to talk about my hip replacement, but I needed to mention it so the person would walk more slowly because I, otherwise I couldn't keep up. Person after person said to me, uh, oh man, that is such a, a great, I've known so many people that have been so glad they had it. Um, good for you, etc." <laughs> but that wasn't listening to me. One guy, one guy all day long, I didn't share it that often, but one guy said, um, wow, that's a lot to go through. What's it like for you? One guy responded that way. And then I didn't go into it in depth, but I thanked him for his interest and said it hasn't been easy. But none of the others slowed down to listen to me. They just would give me little pep talks about the value from people they know that have had him replaced. It's so easy not to listen. Another one, a big one, is being distracted. That, you know, your son's talking to you, but you're half there, you know, you're on your computer or you're cooking a meal or whatever, and you're not fully there. Or if someone comes into your office, you're half distracted. I was dealing with a guy, really a guy, wonderful entrepreneurial guy that's got a great sense of humor. And I've been talking to him about really getting closer to his kids because um, he's so busy and so forth. And he came in to my office and he was kind of laughing. And he said, boy, this will prove your point. And I came home and I said to my daughter, I was school. She said, fine. And I kept going. And then it dawned on me, wait, they didn't have school today. It was Memorial Day. <laughs> Example, and he burst out laughing about it. But what a sad commentary. It's talk, but it's not connecting. It's not really listening. It's just non-listening. He wasn't listening to her, and she wasn't. She didn't hear his care for her. He didn't hear anything about what she's going through with friends, which courses are the most difficult, um, anxiety she has about uh, thinking about colleges. He didn't learn anything. 
And she didn't learn anything. They didn't really connect. Non-listening. Another big one is me too. You share something. Oh man, I can top that. But it reminds me of something. Um, you know, you say, uh, God, I had a marvelous uh, run on Saturday. Weather was beautiful. Thank God I was in California. Really had a great run. And I said, man, I hadn't been able to run at all with this hip. It's driving me crazy because I've, I've been running all my life. And now I'm on about me. I went me too. It seems so natural, but it's not listening to you of what that day was like for you, what that exercise was like after days of rain. I didn't learn anything about you. I just went into me too, started talking about myself. So the important thing, <coughs> learning to listen, is find out from people close to you, what are the ways you don't really listen? Is it that you're too quick to be giving advice? I've got one guy in therapy now that I'm really trying to get him to back off his son. He adores his son, but my God, he's driving the son away with too much advice and criticism. And the reason he's doing that is because his wife doesn't do it much. And he thinks she should. So he's going to balance it. Not balancing it, it's driving the kid away from him. So it's just so important to find out from the people we really trust, how do they experience me listening? And then watch yourself at the next meeting or with the next client or the next conversation with your spouse. Are you focused on really trying to understand or are you focused on getting your point across? Are you really paying attention or are you half there? Are you nodding yes, but you don't even know what you're nodding yes to? It takes self-reflection and honesty with self and some humility to realize I'm not the very good listener. Most of us think we're crackerjack listeners. Other people aren't. Because we know we're not listening to. But we until we realize we're not very good listeners and we've got a lot to learn and we want to learn it, then we're not going to learn. Well, I know that one of the concepts is <coughs> learning to listen to ourselves. Can you describe that? Uh, yes. The, um, I cannot really hear your disappointment at not running. If I haven't listened to my own disappointment about either not being able to exercise or disappointment about not being able to go on a trip, if I haven't listened to my own disappointment, how can I hear yours? I haven't listened to my own self-doubt, my own embarrassment, my own feelings of vulnerability, my own awkwardness. How can I listen to yours? If I don't listen to myself, how can I listen to you? So one of the things I do when I'm dealing with a couple is I ask them to set up a ritual that for half an hour a day, 
the same place at the same time, as much as possible, same place, same time, they do this exercise. And the exercise is one of them will share feelings they've had throughout the day. And so they've got to keep a little notebook <coughs> at least a few times a day jotting down feelings they've had so far in the day. Because they're going to bring that to the ritual uh, at 7 o'clock in the kitchen or after dinner uh, in the den or whatever. Uh, so they've got to each be jotting down their feelings. That's getting to know themselves. Uh, but it's also preparing that they're going to share those feelings with their spouse. And the one talking holds a pen, like a little microphone. I get to talk. But I can only talk about what I'm feeling. And then the listener spouse doesn't have the pen. All he or she can do is listen. They have to learn to listen. It doesn't mean just being quiet. It means offering back to the other what you've heard in your own words with your voice kind of rising to see is what I'm hearing actually what you're trying to get across. And they have to keep offering back what they're hearing, which isn't a technique or a gimmick. It's a real effort <coughs> to understand. But it uses words like one time while you and I have been talking, you said it sounds like. That's a way of approaching the other. It sounds like you're feeling annoyed that I, I said that. Voice kind of rising to check it out. Or I really want to get clear what you're saying. Were you saying that you thought I was distracted when you were talking to me? Um, and you felt annoyed? Um, so. Whatever language we use, it sounds like, or what I hear you saying, or let me get it clear, some little introduction that leads me into offering back to you what I've heard and meaning it, meaning I really want to understand. There's no shortcut. It's got to be genuine. But that's... <coughs> Learning to know what goes on inside us not only is revelatory, tells us about ourselves. For example, I remember one of the first times I got aware of this was I was doing a leadership conference for teenagers um, in the South, in, I think it was Mobile, Alabama. And this young woman came up to me afterwards and she she was an Afro-American, and she made a number of, you know, I thought incisive comments, and I felt surprised. And I thought, oh my God, what does that mean? I feel surprised that this young woman is offering these incisive comments. And it was, the surprise was telling me, I've got prejudice towards Afro-Americans that I didn't think I had. And then I have to face that and look at it and challenge that with my value system, my religious beliefs, etc., and change. 
but we don't even, we're not even listening that we're feeling surprised, annoyed, impatient, aggravated, um, threatened, hurt. Um, we're not getting to know ourselves, and then we can't really hear those feelings in our clients or in our partner or in our boss or we don't hear it in ourselves, we can't hear it in others. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as you <clears throat> as you were going through that, you know, the non the examples of non listening, and then some things we can do to listen to ourselves, and then become better better listeners. Um, I know there was this this concept of direct sharing that I uh, remember from the book, and it'd be great if you could expand on what that means as opposed to what you call impersonal sharing. Well, that's all along the line of um, just as I want to hear others, I want to be heard. And I'm giving myself a much better chance of being heard if I share what's going on inside me. If I said to you, um, uh, Will, you're a crackerjack at what you do. Well, that's, I think that, that's uh, a compliment, but it's not telling you what's going on inside me. <clears throat> so all you could do is say, well, thank you. I wish I was more of a crackerjack than you think I am. <laughs> Whatever to stay back. Um, but what if I said instead, well, I felt uh, a really kind of profound respect for you and gratitude when you sent me um, your comments about the book um, and your questions. I just felt such respect. It seemed to me that you had really drunk in what I was trying to get across and my co-author Mary Siegel was trying to get across um, in, the, in the book. And I felt real respect for you for that. That's telling you what's going on within me. That doesn't call for an answer on your part of, well, I tried, or I wish I were more of a crack guy. <laughs> if you're really listening, then <clears throat> hear my respect to you. You would hear that I don't get that kind of response. I've been interviewed, God knows, a thousand times. Eddie Kirk was great on the Today Show, but had many interviewers that were busy showing me how smart they were or how clever they were or um, did I know so-and-so when they found out what universities I went to? Did I know that prompt? All of which was irrelevant. They haven't really read the book. They haven't really listened. Um, and they weren't listening right at that moment. You'd hear that. Otherwise, why would I be feeling such respect for you? You really listen, you hear not only my respect for you, but my gratitude, because that isn't what I get a lot of the time. You might also hear like my warmth towards you, because you've mentioned some people that mean a lot to me. 
and that triggers one. <clears throat> we learn about me by listening, but I give myself a much better chance of being heard by telling you what I feel rather than just judging you. I can say you're a crackerjack, I can say you're a nitwit. <laughs> you know, it's the same mode of expression. <clears throat> it's judgmental, it just one sounds good. One sounds one nice. Um, but I need to learn how to share my feelings and my needs. And I'll only do that with people I trust. Evidently, otherwise I'm kind of masochistic. <laughs> but I do want to share what goes on inside me, and I want to be freer to do that. I interviewed 10 executives at this company I was just mentioning to you recently after meeting with the CEO. And with each one, I finished it by telling them what I felt towards them. They seemed profoundly grateful for my feedback to them. I was giving what goes on inside me. I wasn't just judging them. I wasn't even just listening to them. I had done that. Then I felt trust in them that I could share me with them. And it made for real connection. We need to learn to share our feelings as well as we need to and our needs. And that often spouses don't do with one another. Uh, managers don't do with their you know, people who report to them. People don't do it to their bosses. They don't trust them enough. Kids don't do it with their parents because their parents don't listen enough. Non-listening and non-sharing, they kind of go together. What's interesting is you were <clears throat> going through that. What occurred to me is that you know I've noticed that it is really hard for people to do what what you just did, and oftentimes it's unfortunate. You know, it's at somebody's funeral where everybody says how great they were, and and it doesn't always occur. You know, where they actually said it to the person. So I'm just curious, from your standpoint, why do you think it's hard for us to share with people how we feel about them. Uh, well, I might get distracted again, but again, what a good question. Um, I think that when, if I tell you you're a crackerjack, uh, that doesn't take much effort. Um, you say thank you, or you shuffle your feet in embarrassment, or whatever <laughs> you do. Um, but if I say I feel um, really kind of a profound gratitude towards you. Uh, that's making me vulnerable. You can think, oh God, this guy's bullshitting, or I thought he was more of a pro than that, that he's putting his feelings out there. I don't know how you view me doing that. So I feel a bit vulnerable. Um, when we share ourselves, we feel vulnerable. Um, and I think that's and why we don't share ourselves very much. We certainly don't think we're going to be heard. Um, we're often going to be judged. Um, oh, God, this guy's touchy-feely or whatever. Um, so we don't share what goes on with it. Um, we don't share our kids, don't share their fears. 
and, and a lot of things they're going through with their parents is they're afraid of setting off too much emotion or getting too much advice. Um, you know, a young rep doesn't share his vulnerabilities with his boss, um, thinking his boss will think, oh God, did I make a wrong choice hiring this guy? So we're vulnerable when we when we share, and we don't like being vulnerable. Well, you know, there's a <clears throat> couple of topics as we get ready to wrap up, and there's there's one from the book that was really profound to me. There's many, but the one that I'd love to have you talk about, because I think this will be helpful to people. I've noticed that when somebody loses someone, oftentimes we don't know what to say. You know, someone died that they were close to, like, what do we say? And there was an example in the book where I think you were out to dinner, and you had just lost your mom, and... It'd be good for you to describe, if you would, you know, what happened and also <clears throat> what would be better, because I know we're all going to be in that situation where we want to be supportive as opposed to unintentionally uh, making the person feel worse, which it sounds like is what happened to you that day. Well, the, the question um, of what to say, um, you're, you're certainly picking one of the most difficult um, times to say anything because there's this profound vulnerability all over the place. Um, but the moment for me was my mother died um, in England uh, with my father. And I had gone back and forth and back and forth um, and I was utterly exhausted. Um, and when she died and I had kept everything in, I asked to be in my mind, the strong one running things in England, the funeral, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and all that was locked up inside me. And I knew it was. I was being on edge. And my best friend said, God, you're coming across as really edgy and irritable. Um, and finally, one evening, I was with a very good friend and a nurse. And I started to talk, and I felt it coming, and I just broke and started to cry. And this nun rushed in so quickly with, you're going to be fine, your mother's in heaven, she's, she's not suffering anymore, and bum, 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 and I just stopped. It just cut off the catharsis that I really needed. Um, so I needed space to feel and to share what I was feeling and I need to be I needed to be heard I didn't need the cliches even if she profoundly meant them um, I didn't need the nose gaze I didn't need the advice I didn't need all those things you're going to be fine I needed to be heard and at a funeral if we would just listen to the person. Don't say, if there's anything I can do, uh, call me. Do something. You know, take over dinner. Um, be there. Um, say, I'm just going to come over this evening. That's all right. Um, give of yourself. Don't give uh, cliches. Um, and as you said before, 
profoundly wonderful things about someone is said in a eulogy that weren't said in life. And I remember one author saying something about a person who was carried out uh, in a box far more tenderly carried out in death than they'd ever been tenderly carried in life. A sad commentary. Um, but we need to share truthfully. If we've established a trust with that person that's suffering, that's the moment to listen more. <coughs> Are you going to say something? Make it genuine. You care for them. Even your sense of helplessness that you can't take their sorrow away. Be truthful when you talk. That's what trust is built on. Solid listening, caring listening, and honest expression. Build trust with your clients. Build trust with your children. Build trust with your, with your spouse, with your manager, with your boss. By really learning to listen carefully and by sharing yourself honestly. It's not a gimmick, <coughs> not a skill of the week. It's a way of being in life. Learn to listen to music better. Learn to listen to a tree better, as well as learn to listen to your spouse. Be a real listener, one who's observant and takes in and grows by listening. And I have to tell you, just as <clears throat> as I've been listening to you the last hour, there's been so many things you've shared that are incredibly helpful in terms of awareness, of thinking through how can I be better. I know for a fact I've done all of those non-listening behaviors that you mentioned, and you know it's 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 been incredibly powerful to have you go through all the examples and share your perspective and the vulnerability that you've shared with us today it's been really amazing and you know i know that people listening are going to be curious about how could they how could they work with you i mean i know you work with companies ceos leadership teams we've heard michael swartz talk about the great value he got of driving up to your office in connecticut from new york for a long period of time and the profound changes that had on his life and his business and for everybody listening that may want to, in addition to reading the book, um, are you taking on clients today? How can we um, get more access to your wisdom and your, your thinking? Well, thank you for the um, affirmation um, that you've just given me. I hear it and I'm grateful for it. Um, in terms of how to get to me, um, I'm an adorable cousin who lives in New York and is really a crackerjack in, in the work she does um, in, uh, in management um, and marketing. And she said, do you have open end, open acceptance workshop? And I used to for years, and I don't at the moment. But I said, come up to my office and have a tutorial. So, and she's going to do that. Um, so I'm in my office, I accept, um, you know, new clients, they don't have to be CEOs of companies, and any, any, I love all different people that I'm talking to. 
um, the um, the book is certainly um, a source of uh, that's what I want to get across about listening. I was glancing through the book in preparation for this podcast with you, Will, and liked what was in there, which was very gratifying. And so thank God that I wrote that. So um, Mary and I wrote that. So um, I definitely suggest people to read the book. Um, listen to this podcast a couple of times. Um, and. Uh, and then I've written other books you also asked about, Sharing of Self. There's a book called um, We Really Need to Talk, as well as the book we're talking about, We Really Need to Listen. Um, a book called Sick and Tired of Feeling Sick and Tired. Uh, any of those books would be communicating what you kindly call uh, my wisdom, certainly my thoughts and my values. What if somebody listening to this <clears throat> is not in the, you know, the, the Northeast, maybe they're in California or Florida, would you be open to having a relationship to work with individuals over the phone as an option? Yes, I, I do that a good bit. I have, I have uh, clients um, all over the world that call me and say, hey, I want to Well, I would encourage anybody that <clears throat> that hasn't to read the book. It is it is a profound book. It is a game-changing, life-changing concept to become aware of all the things we've been talking about and more are in that in that book. So I definitely encourage everybody to read the book. Are you really listening? In addition to the others that uh, that you just mentioned, Dr. Donahue and. You know, on behalf of all of us, um, thank you for, for sharing everything that, that you have with us today. It's, it's going to be highly impactful to everybody listening to it. Well, thank you very much, Will. I say a good student makes a good teacher. And the way you listened and the way you reflected on what I was saying and came back with questions that really led me to say what I had to say. So, again, I'm grateful to you excellent well as, as always if anybody has any questions don't hesitate to give us a call at 415-574-6659